0: Hey everyone, please be advised that this episode contains discussions around spiritual abuse, religious trauma, and other sensitive topics. The content may be distressing or triggering for some individuals, so if you feel uncomfortable or find these discussions distressing, we invite you to prioritize your mental health and well being and consider skipping this episode. This is the Touchy Subjects Podcast. My name is Aaron Billings and I am your host. In this episode, we are going to be talking about the ripple effects of deconstruction and how they influence our support systems and our relationships. I have three guests with me. I have Erin Watson-Moore, a former pastor, Rebecca Lynn Thomas-Cole, a trauma-informed coach, and Julie Tran, a compassionate communication relationship coach. I hope that you enjoy this episode. We are back and I am here with some amazing guests. I am so excited for you guys to meet and listen and learn from these three ladies that I have here with me. So ladies, let's just hop right into introductions. Rebecca, can I have you go first? Just introduce who you are, what you do. I know that people are going to love hearing from you.
1: Sure, my name is Rebecca Lynn Thomas Cole, and I am a trauma-informed life coach and also leadership expert. I spent quite a few years in the corporate environment and now I own and run my own coaching business. Yeah, as far as just the, you know, my relationship with deconstruction, I've been through that process. And so I'm just really excited to be here to talk about it and talk about support
0: systems related to deconstruction. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Julie, can I have you go next?
2: Sure. My name is Julie Tran, and I am a former executive in the commercial real estate industry turned compassionate communication marriage coach. I work with high achieving success driven women to help them connect to their feminine leadership so that they can master the art and skill of compassionate communication and lead their marriage to paradise without couples therapy. I'm really excited to, because I know deconstruction affects everybody. It affects your family. It affects your significant other. And I'm really excited to bring my lens of relationships and communication into this conversation to empower anybody who's struggling or not, not necessarily struggling, but going through the process of deconstruction and how you can empower yourself through learning how to communicate in a way that is empowering for you and empowering for the person you're speaking with.
0: Absolutely. Love that. Anytime. You're always welcome, Julie. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go to Aaron. This is the first time I've ever had anybody on a podcast that's my namesake. So, Aaron, why don't you introduce yourself? All right. So,
2: like Aaron said, I'm Aaron Watson Moore. I live in Canada in the province of Manitoba, just outside of Winnipeg. I am a mother to two incredible, beautiful teenage daughters, 19 and 16. I was pastor for 20 years, and then we're going to get into my story with the deconstruction process. But left that three and a half years ago, and currently, I also started my own coaching business during the pandemic. And so, I specifically work with individuals where uh, I get to help them learn how to build arsenals, and I love to look at things in like a flip perspective. I use the story of Esther for anybody that's familiar with the Bible, where Esther got to flip the whole situation of Haman on his head. And uh, I I just love that story. So I like to look at people's stories. And one word that came to me the last few years is life is an invitation. So I look at everything I'm going through, including incredibly difficult deconstruction process as an invitation to look at things differently. And so I love to help people look at their situations differently and how to build an arsenal of tools in order to come to victory and breakthrough and healing in multiple areas in their lives. And then I also work as an assistant director of events at a local destination center here in Manitoba, really close to where I live. So that's what I'm doing currently.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Thank you so much for being here. And Esther is actually my favorite Bible story. Random fact. I always love a good like female empowerment story. That's that's my jam, especially whenever she's sticking it to the men. Love it. (laughs) I digress. Let's get into it. You know, we are here to talk about support systems and deconstruction. And why? Because deconstruction impacts everyone in your orbit. It impacts your friends, it impacts your family, it impacts your partner, it impacts your community and your ability to create and live within community. And so this is just so important and I think it's great for everyone out there listening to learn from these three ladies. Okay, the first thing I'm gonna have you do is share your deconstruction story. This is something that I have everyone that comes on the podcast do. And the reason I do that is because I want everybody to hear that we all land in different places. Plus it also gives everybody context for why you believe the way that you do. Rebecca, would you mind
1: going first? Sure, I would love to. So a little bit of background, I actually was just having this conversation the other day and something that I hadn't really thought about related to uh, my deconstruction journey popped up. So I had a background where I grew up in the Catholic church until I was about 11. And then we moved into the evangelical church until I was in college. And then I went into a Baptist denomination. So I actually have these three very distinct parts of my background, religiously speaking, which to impact the way that my family structure also worked because having grown up in a Catholic family, that's where my dad grew up as well. And so we really did um, a lot of that structure and the way that we interacted was very, you know, We lived in Wisconsin. We were around, like, culturally, just with around a lot of people that were also Catholic. And so it really was very much part of our lives, just the way that we lived. I lived in a very small town of 5,000 people, and, like, everyone's kid went to the Catholic school. So even educationally, I grew up going to Catholic school until I was in seventh grade. And that's when we moved into the E-Free tradition. We had moved states. We lived in Iowa at that time. And so it's just really interesting kind of thinking back how that really did change. We went from this very strict tradition-based, you know, there are sacraments and all of this into this totally different environment. And my dad went to promise keepers and now everything is different. Now it's all about Jesus, you know, accepting Jesus in your heart and vacation Bible school and purity culture and all of that. Hmm. And then, you know, I went to college and it just was kind of... You know, very similar to the e free thing, but also, you know, different in some ways. But I saw a lot of my friends getting married when they were like 19, and that just didn't happen for me. My story is very, very different from that. I actually ended up becoming a single mom at 22. I had my oldest son then, and I really kept trying to get back into the church, but I never really kind of felt like I belonged. I would do anything I could, volunteering all the time. And I think in about 2012, I did the Beth Moore Breaking Free Bible Study. And that really did like change a lot about my relationship with the Bible. And start, I started doing a lot more reading of that on my own. And I started kind of seeing disparities between what I was reading it myself and what I was being taught. And so I continued trying to be part of that community, and part of that environment. By this time, I'd been married and divorced. And so now I have two kids. I'm a single mom. I'm in the church ended up in a really terrible, abusive situation, spiritually abusive, the whole nine yards. And so 2017, I have three kids. Now I am three kids. I'm a single parent and the church is just nowhere to be found. And that is kind of what really struck me to stop going. It was this whole situation of being told that we are this family, that church is, you know, f- to help people, that we're to be community. We're doing life together. This phrase I kept hearing, but I didn't feel like anyone was trying to do life with me. And so I just thought there this doesn't look like what I've been told it's supposed to be like. It doesn't feel like it. I am giving, giving, giving. I was writing and teaching women's Bible studies in the summertime. I was teaching youth ministry. I was on youth leadership. I was doing all of these things. And yet there I was alone. And I had this corporate job and being told, well, you can afford to pay people to come and do these things for you. So we're not going to help you. And I think the final straw for me and what really sent me on this, there's got to be something better, was when I went to meet with this pastor about starting a ministry to help single parents in our church. And his response to me was, what if they take advantage of us? And that was it. I was done at that point. And so that just really sent me on this journey to figure out how do I create community myself, then the way that I've always kind of been told it's supposed to look? How can I start that in my own life? So here we are today, now having lived that journey. And, you know, there's a process of undoing a lot of things in between. Then, you know, it started with the religious deconstruction. And then I think. This, you know, I think we'll talk about this, but a lot of other things started to come into question then because it was just like a snowball effect.
0: Right, man, I cannot take it whenever pastors start with that. Are they going to take advantage of us? Crap, and yeah. I, I empathize greatly. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Erin. Can I have you go next?
2: Yeah, I um, appreciate what you shared about. back. I just like have such a great conversation and you're just kinda getting getting my juices going here. I'm like, uh oh, and it's so hard to share a deconstruction story. Like there's so many parts to it, right? I'm trying to condense it. But mine really goes back to I can pinpoint it to the year of twenty nineteen. So many details going on in my personal life and my work life in that year. But two significant things happened in my world where I say my world got knocked off its axis, and I literally felt like everything I knew was all of a sudden upside down. The alphabet—I'm a firstborn. I like to plan. I like everything, you know, in in sequential order. And it, like, the whole alphabet just kind of blew up, and A was next to like you know L, and M was like beside Z, and it just, you know, nothing made sense in my world anymore. My ex left me. Actually, it was right around this time in 2019. So there was that going on in my world that just blew up. I didn't really see that coming. I grew up in the church, but I should say this time I'm pastoring for a long time. So I started pastoring back in 1999. So when this happened, like I was raising my girls in the church, you know, there's my husband, myself. So that happened. At the same time, I had taken a three month leave of absence from my work job. I never had one other than a couple of shortened, condensed maternity leaves. And I gave birth to each of my girls. And I should preface in Canada here, we get a year for maternity leaves. When I say it's shortened and condensed, I know you guys don't have nearly the generous maternity leaves we have here, but mine were less than a year. So anyways, there's uh, some incentive to move to Canada if you're going to have a baby, but (laughs) for what it's worth. Yeah. But anyways... (laughs) So I had come back from a leave of absence to a very messy environment that where I had been pastoring for 20 years, I come back and it's literally unrecognizable. Had a lot of seniority. I was the associate pastor. So there was the lead pastor I worked with. There was the elder team. And I came in having had a lot of, like I'd say, freedom and trust invested in me to lead and make decisions. And I came back and I just felt everything was literally stripped. I came back to an environment and I don't want to go into all the details, but just wasn't what I knew when I came back. And I felt like I was being lied to my face about certain things. And I started challenging things that I felt the Lord was bringing to my heart to highlight things that maybe we hadn't done well in the past or we could do better. It was just like, Oh, we dealt with that. Why are you bringing it up? And it, nobody wanted to hear what I was saying if I was bringing things to the table anymore to try to do stuff with integrity and accountability and you know what I thought would be like in a righteous sort of way. So anyways, things came to a head. There was betrayal through people that promised they would have my back, including the people I mentioned I worked with. When I say I left the church, like I left in February 2020, I did not leave because my marriage fell apart. That wasn't the main reason for me leaving. There's a lot of other reasons that led to that. That was a piece of it, but not the entire thing. But there was betrayal going on with that. There was pressure put on me for certain things because you got to keep up appearances and we're family and family tells people everything. And I had pressure that I need to tell my story publicly. And I thought, why would I do that? Like, why would I... At that time, I'm trying to protect my family, protect my husband who had left. I'm trying to figure everything out and wanted to Sort of just guard my my girls primarily, and a part of that was because I also knew that anybody who knew me knew what I would be standing for, knew what I would be fighting for in my marriage and for my family, and I thought my reputation will speak for itself. So if people need to think the juiciest gossip, they're they're welcome to it. I didn't ever feel like I had to owe anybody any explanation, but keep things on the down low and just talk to who I want to talk to about it. So when I left, I think things became so much more clear. When you're immersed in a culture, you don't see things as clearly. I left and I kept waiting to feel like I was missing it. And I never did. The longer I had been away, the more free I became. So that was a clear indication that I had made the right choice. And one of the key things for me, like Rebecca, you talked about the church being family. We're family, you know. We're in this together, and you belong. And the same thing, we preach these values of family. And I got out from under that, and it's like a veil was lifted off my eyes, and I was like, "That was the most dysfunctional family I've ever been a part of." <laughs> and it doesn't even represent my biological family that I grew up with, my mom and dad, that you know raised me in the church. Like it was so unhealthy. And I just felt thankful that I could step away and detach and start to see things. And that was the beginning of my deconstruction process, which led me to tens of thousands of questions now about everything. <laughs> not my faith. I've not questioned like my faith in believing that God is who he says he is and you know Jesus is the son of God. But I'm talking about pretty much everything else surrounding that. Why do I believe what I believe? And and is it even all true anymore? And what's really kingdom versus what is man-filtered scripture that he's been like, you know, pounding us with that we need to do this. So that kind of in a nutshell is a little bit about where things really got started for me in this journey of deconstructing.
0: I love that. And it's always funny for me, whenever people talk about family, that's always a red flag for me. Thank you so much, Erin. Julie, can I have you go next?
2: Absolutely. So my deconstruction story, I guess I never really even thought about it as deconstruction because I just didn't have the vocabulary when I was growing up. I grew up Catholic. I'm a child of immigrant parents from Vietnam. And my mom is like super devout Catholic. We went to Catholic school every Saturday, I believe. And... I think I, yeah, went to Catholic school all the way up until I was like 15, 16, 17. And for some reason, they even asked me to teach, (laughs) to teach class to the, you know, lower classmen. I'm like, really? Me? (laughs) Anyway, I was not qualified. I'll just leave it at that. But I, so as far as my relationship to Catholicism, I think that the origin and like the the underlying values that it teaches is really beautiful and honestly much needed you know like how i see it is love and oneness and compassion however for me i never really resonated with catholicism just because you know like going through the rituals of confessing your sins and having it somehow being relinquished and then you do you know the same bad quote unquote bad things again and you come back and you just confess it away it just it just to me it just felt like I never connected to it It didn't make any sense to me and so I kind of like as I got older and moved out of the house I just stopped going to church my mom's not happy about that she's the one that's more like really strict and she would love nothing more for me to become a nun you know (laughs) but that didn't those are that would have made her her catholic dreams come true But it just wasn't. (laughs) And I think she actually wanted to become a nun and that didn't happen. She ended up having six kids with my
0: dad. That's very um, Catholic too.
2: That's very Catholic too. That's very Catholic too. So I say like how I began questioning it when I was able to, when I was able to start making choices on my own, stopped, you know, moved out of the house, wasn't quote unquote forced to go to church anymore. And I kind of just kind of dipped in and out whenever it felt right for me. But I would say that, for me, deconstruction beyond that, which has been really like transformative in my life, has been me questioning the constructs of my place in society, the construct of what is expected of me, expected of all of us in society. Cause I was working in corporate America for 15 years. And to be honest, I was dealing with anxiety and depression for 10 of those years. And I didn't understand why I was feeling so disconnected from people. I didn't understand why my nervous system, I didn't have the vocabulary at the time, but I just didn't feel like myself. I felt so out of place, so lonely in corporate America. And I would overcompensate for the anxiety that I would feel by working harder, by being a workhorse and working 60 to 80 hours a week. And it got me to a point where I'm just like burnout was my norm. And so I remember a particular moment where I was at my therapist's office and I was like a shell of my former self. And it was the first time where I was having a conversation with a therapist where she asked me these really deep questions. Like, why do you feel the way you feel? And she kept on asking like, why, why, why? And as we were beginning to feel back the, the onion, the The seed of it was that I felt like no matter how much I do, no matter how hard I work, I will never be enough. And it's very lonely. So lonely, right? And then I realized that, wow, if that is what's underneath all of my anxiety and all of my depression, making me feel so disconnected from the world, then if I can work with that, if I can work with this belief, I have that. Oh, I'm not good enough unless I work my ass off, and it seems like this this treadmill that I'll never be able to catch up. If I can work with that, then I feel I, it gave me hope. It gave me hope, and maybe it came from this hope from my Catholicism days, right, where we are loved no matter what, But mm-hmm. like God loves us no matter what, and that gave me hope to just continue to to deconstruct my beliefs about myself, which led to deconstructing my beliefs about what's expected of me, what's expected of all of us and what's considered successful in this world, in this life. I can deconstruct all of that. <laughs> so I went from corporate America, executive, having a very large income, 5,000 square feet house, my Chanel bags, my Louboutins <laughs> and my BMW bougie. to like <laughs> to like literally, literally getting rid of all of that like getting rid of all that, having a sale, selling my house, buying an RV. And my husband and I moving into an RV together and really like discovering what life means to us and what is important to us. And here we are two and a half years later and we never looked back.
0: I love it. I feel like the way that you just described corporate America and your world in it that was my lived experience working in mega churches. And man, it's so funny how the church is like, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But man, it feels same, same in a lot of ways. But that's probably another conversation for another day, another podcast episode. I could talk about that all day long. But today we're talking about support systems and I'm really excited about this. As you can tell, listeners, our guests are very passionate about these things. So as I mentioned earlier, our deconstruction really does impact everyone around us. And I think what I would like to go through first is how deconstruction can impact our relationships because i think this is a big big component of deconstruction because as julie said you know her her catholic mom wanting her to become a nun that's that's a big thing that's very normal well if you're evangelical nobody's going to expect you to become a nun but it might be possible that they want you to become a pastor or a worship leader or you know that's the hope so let's talk about relationships Aaron, how has deconstruction impacted your relationships
2: yeah that's a great question i learned quickly when, well actually i should say as i was preparing to leave the church once i had my answer knowing i was going to leave i realized not everybody was gonna be able to go with me. Lord I don't want everybody anymore to go with me after going through crazy betrayal. And so it became easy to cut people out of my life. Not for the reason of like this rebellious thing like I'm gonna get you back because you hurt me and like make you pay. It was you're not healthy for me. I've ended a 20 year huge section in my life and I need to figure out what's next. And I just really realized that God had people that I thought would be in my life forever. It became really clear they were seasonal. And they couldn't go with me the next season. So perhaps because I went through some of that betrayal, it was easy to cut some of them off. But others, you know, I thought like I may be judged. And because in the middle of this is a marriage now falling apart. In the middle of like me leaving church. Um, and no longer pastoring anymore is this whole marriage piece, which adds to it. So I didn't have a partner to deconstruct anything with. (laughs) So it was God and me doing a lot of it, quite honestly. And I was like, are my questions even valid? Are my thoughts even valid? Am I hearing God? Because I'm hearing some new language, some new things. And I'm like, maybe this is hypocrisy. Maybe this is me being deceived and going astray. I would have to say I was extremely fortunate to have my mom and dad be my biggest support system and i know not everybody has that so they stood by me watching me have to go through what i went through you know just losing a marriage raising my girls and everything i had to do to adjust my life i left my marriage full apart pre-covid and then covid hit six months in or actually it was a month after i left the church it was six months after my marriage ended And so, yeah, then there's pandemics. And then, like, there's script of relationships where you can't even physically be with people anymore. I couldn't even have hugs for my parents because of all the regulations and all that. So I think, like, just the fact that my mom and dad, though, stood by my side was huge. And, like I said, there was pressure on me to have to go public with my story. And so I didn't. I didn't. I felt to keep everything private and to protect and to guard. And I only told those in my inner circle. And anybody who knows me, I just knew my reputation would speak for itself. And I don't say it with pride. I'd say that because I know the person I am. I'm honest, authentic, transparent. In fact, I had my birthday last week and I went out for dinner with a bunch of girlfriends. And one of the girls at the table was like, Let's go around the table and say something nice about Erin. You know, like, Let's encourage her and blah, blah, blah. And every person at that table talked about how they love my honesty, my transparency. So like, those are intrinsic to who I am. So I just knew that I've lived an honest lifestyle in front of people and behind closed doors. So those that were going with me would choose to believe my story and what was true to me. So I feel like I had great support in that, but definitely have to say so much of it was me and God. And finding what does it look like because the God I thought I knew <laughs> doesn't exist anymore. In the Bible story format, um, it suddenly got really real. It suddenly got really real because where are you, God, in the middle of my marriage should never have ended? This shouldn't have happened and how could this happen to me? And then being a pastor, I'd counsel people and there are marriage crises. And so all of a sudden, everything is different in my world. And where are you when I've like left the job of 20 years? One of my biggest questions was... I'll just leave this out there. I'm a firstborn. So like I said, I like order. I can be a people pleaser, all of these things. And my biggest thing was, how could these things happen to me in my life when I did everything right? I obeyed the Bible, I honored you, I waited to have sex before marriage, I did this, I did that, and look where it got me. So I had to really lean on God heavily to find out who he is, and I've learned he's just a God of mystery, but he has been my biggest support in all of this. and I. I don't want that to sound cliche. That's honest to goodness. You got to buckle down and find where does God fit in your box that suddenly is blown to bits. And what does he now look like in a relationship?
0: Man, that was good. That'll preach. Thank you for sharing that. One follow up question, because I know you've got teenage girls. How has your deconstructed impact your kids? So it's
2: actually brought me closer to them. It's been so healthy because I think my oldest in particular is very cerebral. And she already is doing some of her own deconstruction. My kids went to private school, Christian dance, went to church. So it sounds like they're in this bubble. I didn't raise them quite in a bubble where they weren't aware of things in the world. I really tried to balance where like, they were aware of things outside of you know, Christian bubble. But definitely when I left, my oldest started really challenging me with questions. What was that about? And I i don't know if I've mentioned this or not. We were in a very evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal church. So there's a lot of like stuff there that you could explain away in candy coat with this nice icing over top of like, this is God, right? Like you could really kind of make all the hoopla sound as spiritual as you want. So there was a lot of deconstruction going on there for her and she came to ask me questions and it actually, I think, bonded us because no longer was I giving them these bad answers. And I should say, as a parent, I felt threatened previous to this. Particularly, again, I'm going to say my oldest because she's three. If I just said because the Bible said so, that wasn't good. But if I got that answer growing up. I was good with that. Okay, the Bible says so. I'll believe it. I'll take it word for word. I won't challenge that. Whereas when I get this daughter, that's like, that's not okay. And she challenged me. So I felt threatened. Like my stance as a Christian was constantly, it was like no longer, I told you so didn't work. And so I was like, how do I deal with this as a parent where I wanted to control her environment and her choices? So yeah, it's actually really helped me with the girls and... I'm not nearly as threatened, I think because I've changed so much. In fact, my girls look at me and they're like, who's this mom? She's not the same person she was three years ago. And I love it. I think it's actually enhanced our relationship in a really amazing way.
0: Love that. Thank you for sharing that. I know that there are people listening that have children. And so I'm sure that is very encouraging for them to hear. Rebecca, how has Deconstructed impacted your relationships?
1: Yeah. I resonate a lot with some of the things that Erin was sharing. And in my case, like my mom has come to be very, very supportive in it. In the beginning, I think she was very afraid. She was very scared of what this might mean. I think partly because... I was involved at the same church she was involved. And so it was a thing we did together. And actually now as I've gone through a lot of this and much more like intensive trauma healing, I'm starting to realize it was like the way that we sort of bypassed all the things that came before. So my parents got divorced when I was 19. There's a lot of stuff that happened in like the... 6 or 7 years that followed that. And moving to California from Iowa was like this line in the sand kind of thing. And then as I went through my own journey, that's where she and I bonded. And so when I started to undo some of that, it was very scary for her because that was the band-aid that was covering all the stuff underneath. And so now what was going to happen with that? I think she was scared of that. I think... you know. I've really deconstructed a lot of like the tenets of my faith to get to this place of like, what do I actually believe? I know what the church has told me is supposed to be, but like, this is a silly example, but I remember reading about David and Goliath as an adult and realizing that Goliath died because David cut his head off, not because he threw stones at him. And I was like, what the heck? Like, (laughs) this is what the church has (laughs) been teaching me. What else did they not actually like give all the details about. And so, I mean, like I said, I know that's a silly example, but it really did like kind of really get me on this path. And so as I'm asking more questions, my mom was really starting to freak out. And so we had a lot of really big arguments and my mom is not one to get in these big arguments. I am not afraid of them. I'm an Enneagram 8, very willing to engage in conflict, but it made it difficult to like really have conversation. I think over time, because she saw that this was an important thing for me to do. And she's, I think what she kind of came to grips with was the fact that it was the only way my faith could survive. Like, if I was forced to continue on in that, I was at the point of losing all of it. And so, this was the only way I could maintain any of it. So, I was a single mom, like I said, in the church. And I had people consistently saying to me, How could you work this job? How could you do this? You know, someday you'll find a man. It was never like, What you have is enough, and God will give you everything you need to be the leader of your family as you are right now. Instead, it was questioning everything constantly. And I, that was, it really was wearing me down. And I thought, you know, if people really loved and cared about me and wanted to be supportive of me, they wouldn't do that to me. And my mom started to see that. So as I started kind of putting this light on, the way people were treating me I traveled for my job I traveled all over the world and that's the job I had it is the way I supported my family and I really couldn't like reconcile that these people instead of coming alongside of me were then you know judging that so my mom started to see it and that really started to strengthen my relationship with her now she's still in that church I like I said left 6 years ago but we've kind of come to this place of understanding and we can have these deeper conversations now and they don't ever rise to the level that they used to. I think the other relationships that it really impacted were the relationships with my kids. My older two and I were in a very abusive environment with an ex of mine. He was incredibly... uh, textbook narcissist, very controlling, spiritually abusive, used the Bible all the time to control me, isolated us. My older two and I really had a lot of trauma in different ways from him. And getting involved in the church the way that we did, there was a lot of spiritual bypassing of, you know, just like, Jesus can fix everything, God can fix everything. And now, my daughter looks at me and says, why didn't you get me therapy? And I'm like, because I was told that we didn't need to do that. And now because we are in the environment we're in, we're getting like real healing for our trauma. That was something we couldn't have done at that time. And so I think that to me is like the biggest impact of deconstruction for me and my family is that we really are on a path to healing in a very real way where the emotions that God gave us, we're dealing with those, we're processing them. We are in deeper relationship than we ever could have been because it's not some, you know, just bypassing every, all the feelings it's real. So these relationships, they feel real. They don't feel like they're based on rules or expectations or you know these structures that we're told we're supposed to be in, like Julie was saying, they feel real.
0: I empathize with you. It, it's so funny, the overlap of all of our stories. There's so much overlap and there's overlap in the audience as well. And so that's why these conversations are so important. Julie, you are the relationship coach on our panel, and I know that you've deconstructed your relationship. I know that because we're friends, but also because this is literally what you do with your business. Can you share with everyone about that? Because deconstruction through a relationship coach lens is going to look very different.
2: So, I'll tell you my personal story on um, why I even became a marriage coach. I was in a situation with my husband where I felt like it, it looked really pretty on the outside, right? Like, my husband is gorgeous. We had a big house, all the fancy things. But behind closed doors, that was like the opposite story. I felt like no matter what I did he would always find something to criticize me about i felt like i was trying so hard to you know to run our family make sure our kids are provided for are emotionally equipped to handle you know all the situations that life throws at you our kids also, and just to give you guys context, my husband and I, we don't have kids now, but we were foster parents. So we were foster parents for two years. And so when the boys were placed with us, they had a lot of trauma. And so with me as a coach, I'm always looking at things through the lens of trauma, right? And I felt like my husband was not on board with that. And I didn't feel like I had a teammate. I also, for me, noticed that I would be very triggered. At his anger. So, if things wouldn't go his way and he would start to get angry and huffy and puffy and he would get irritated and even sometimes yell and blame me, right? It would create all this turmoil in me. And I would usually react by cutting him down because to me, it was so upsetting that he would cry over like spilled milk or like make a big deal out of nothing. To me, that felt unsafe because I'm like, you're a man. Like you're supposed to handle business, and why do I have to do that now? I have to deal with the family, the kids, and now I have to deal with you. Right? And so my marriage got to a place where I I mean, they just felt so transactional, dry. I'm sure that we loved each other, but it just didn't feel that way. We barely like liked each other. And I remember one day. One day I was um, having a conversation with my coach at the time and she was noticing how disempowered I was speaking, how like my energy was so contracted because I felt like I couldn't stay and I felt like I couldn't go. Like I was in this no man's land, like being stretched in like all, all opposite directions and I felt like I had no freedom. And what she said to me was that, you know what? Like you are actually pretending like you don't have a choice. So she called me out. I was pretending like I don't have a choice, but I actually do have a choice. I could choose to stay or go. I just didn't like the consequences that we didn't want, mm-hmm. but I got to put my big girl pants on and just choose and deal with the consequences and just be with it. And so I said, okay you know what? I'm going to choose. I'm not going to do this like half ass thing anymore. I'm actually really going to choose to be in my marriage now in a way that, that I've never been before in a way where I'm taking a hundred percent responsibility for how I show up. And here's the thing that's like a lot of people get really um, triggered about. I'm going to take responsibility for how my husband shows up too. Which means that whenever he's behaving in a way that triggers me, I have to ask myself, what was my part in that? You know, like maybe, maybe it was something I said two weeks ago or a month ago that I think i on to. Or maybe, you know, I just haven't been creating an environment where he feels nourished. Right? Or maybe I haven't been teaching him how to nourish me because I never even knew how I needed to be nourished. So when I began to orient myself like that and it really took full ownership, my marriage completely changed. And it didn't happen overnight. It took a lot of time and a lot of healing. I had healing to do, my husband had healing to do. He wasn't interested in couples therapy at all. He was like, no, I'm I'm good. I'm perfect. <laughs> there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing that needs to be, you know, fixed or whatever, right? So that's my background. Now I now have that kind of relationship where it's like um, it's almost like unbelievable because it makes our honeymoon stage looks like amateur hour. And we've been together for 15 years and we are more in love now than we've ever ever been. Like we never even knew this was possible. And I share that because because you know, for anybody who's like listening, who's who's going through deconstruction, obviously relationships is such a big component of that. And I guess what I would offer anybody who is thinking about their marriage and their family and how to communicate what they're going through and what would support them is that like anytime we communicate from a place of protection, anytime we communicate from a place where we're blaming somebody else for how we feel, right? It's going to create resistance because what's happening is you just built walls around your heart and you it became you against the other person and it's the other person's fault right and i would say that that's the first way to lose a relationship and i've done it right and thankfully my husband and i were married so it wasn't like you know as easy as like see you later like we really had to work through it so you know if you just keep this in your heart, keep in your mind that there is a way to, to express yourself and express your needs very in an elegant and compassionate way where you're able to be fully expressed and keep your heart open, that's how you're able to strengthen together as a partnership. You know, even through these really, really rocky times, you'll get through it if you maintain an open heart and take responsibility for how you do it. And then, The other thing I want to just add to this is like, is in terms of relationship with other people in your life. When you're deconstructing, you're seeing things differently. Your awareness level rises. Your vibration rises for anybody who understands that. You're just not going to be a match anymore for for people who have been in your life before, who believe the old things that you used to believe, but you don't anymore. And so part of your journey is also... It's not like you're kicking them to the curb, but, you know, just holding compassion for yourself and for the other person. It's not their fault. It's not your fault. It's just that you guys aren't vibing anymore. And that's okay. We're not here to make everyone happy. We're not here to be the most popular person in the room. You know, we're here to be our authentic selves. And just by doing that, you will attract the right people into your life.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. Thank you for sharing your story specifically about with your husband, because I think it's really powerful for people to hear that relationships can transform. And that's so cool that you guys decided to buckle down and do the work. And now you're at this like magical relationship goals kind of space. Like... As one of my friends, I look at all of your content and I'm like, oh my God, like that's the goal. That's the vision for a relationship. And so if you don't follow Julie, go find her on Instagram at with Tran, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So going towards community because that's the whole premise of the church is the Greek term I believe is koinonia which is all about creating that community. Several people have mentioned it as family. And for me, family, whenever I hear that, even in a corporate setting, that's a major red flag (laughs) for me. Community is a big deal, specifically in the church, because the church is full of people and people are hurt and hurt people hurt people. And so it can be a vicious cycle if people are not healthy but you know for me personally when i made the decision to step out of church like aaron and rebecca had said it it was not necessarily cutting people off but it was a you know what this is not healthy for me at the moment and i need to get healed and get healthy And so now when I look at community, it looks a lot different. And honestly, I'm a lot more choosy when it comes to my community because from an energetic standpoint, I know that people feed off of our energy and sometimes we don't want God and everybody to be in our energy. And so, you know, deconstruction has made community look different. Rebecca, how has deconstructed, impacted your sense of community?
1: Yeah, that is such a huge part, right? Like when I was sharing my story earlier, I I talked about wanting to create this like ministry for single parents so that they could feel more community. That was the entire point was that, that I didn't feel like there was community and I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to impact the place where I was and make it feel more like community. It's so funny when you said that too about work. When I hear that work is like a family, I'm always like, no, it's not. Like There's so much more involved than just saying those words. And I think what deconstruction has really allowed for me to understand about community and how it can truly exist in a way that's healing and that feels like family is when we are able to really understand what it means to hold space for one another and create those brave spaces of vulnerability in a safe place. And so, you know, I think one of the things the church wants to be a welcoming place. We hear that all the time. All are welcome. All are welcome. But the reality is, or for me, the reality was that when I did try to be vulnerable, that's what they wanted. They wanted me to be vulnerable. When I did that, I was met with hostility. I was met with judgment. I was met with shame. I was met with... a an onslaught of not really great experiences around that um you know I've talked about this in the earlier a little bit and this is a really passionate part of my story I was a single mom in the church I was pregnant as a single woman okay there is nothing like and there are other things that are like this too but my sin was on my outside it was on my body Ugh all the time. Every time I walked onto that campus, every time I walked into that church, my sin was on the outside of me that everybody could see it. And that is a really, really difficult thing to ask a 21-year-old young woman, and let's think 16, 17, 18-year-old young women to do that in a place that we don't create to be safe for them. And by safe, I mean not full of judgment, not full of shame, not all of these things. And so the way it has impacted me is just figuring out how to really learn to hold space. I remember the first time that someone held space for me. She did not go to my church. I think she might have gone to a different church, but I remember her asking me my story. And as I told her my story, she just would say things like, Wow, you are so brave. Wow, that must have been so hard for you. Wow, I can't believe that you had to endure something like that. It was just these very kind, encouraging, loving remarks. And even when I met my husband, this is a story I tell a lot because it was so impactful for me. Um, We'd been together maybe a year at this point, and I was upset about something. And I apologized to him for having feelings. And he looked at me and said, your feelings are valid. Even if I never agree with them, even if I don't understand them, your feelings are valid. It is the first time in the history of my entire life. And I was probably 37 at that time that anybody had ever said that to me. And so to create a space where people feel like they know that their feelings are valid because they're having them, not because somebody else is corroborating them or agreeing with them or saying that they're valid is incredibly important to actually creating spaces where people can heal in really meaningful ways. And so that is like my greatest desire more than anything else um, is to see that. And I think having this trauma-informed perspective that Julie was talking about is so incredibly important to that because we all bring our experiences and our perspectives and our worldviews and all the things that we've had in our lives with us. And to be able to enter a space that is safe enough to share those with others, that's what community is supposed to be about. And so, yeah, it's just like this greater understanding and this greater desire and passion to see that actually exist.
0: I love everything you just said. I'm a maning you from the other side of the country. <laughs> I would like to consider the layers of support systems. So the first layer of support system kind of being ourselves. We are at the center of our worlds. And so our support has to feed us first. Julie, what kind of support feeds the mind, body, spirit? Because that's more of the individual level of support that we're going to be needing.
2: Wow, there's so much. (laughs) There's so much that's available and possible there. Um, I think about our whole body as, or our 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 humanity as our body, our physical body, our mental body, spiritual body, um, and an emotional body. And it's like, if we don't focus on one of those, it's like you're, you know, you're operating with, I don't know, like, let's say you don't have your right arm or your right leg. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a one part of our body that's just like not available for us to create in this world right And so they're all important. However, at the same token, I don't want anybody to think that oh my God, now I have to do this. I have to like here's my list of all the things I need to do to take care of myself physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, right? It's not really about that. It's like a whole it's like a lifelong journey. But I want to just give people context that that this is your vessel. this is your temple. and if your temple and all four of those in all four of those call it categories are not filled up, you're going to feel depleted. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but a month from now, six months from now, a year from now. And so there are so many different modalities that you can start to explore to to begin to heal yourself in all of those areas. But for today, what I'd like to, what what feels true for me to share for everybody because it's so accessible, it's just meditation. Taking time out, like even if it's, if you have access to five minutes a day, ten minutes a day, to slow down, to slow your nervous system down, to create a relationship with your breath, and that in of itself is a practice to help you build a relationship with, with yourself, really, Right? And then over time, you'll discover that that's the relationship that's most important. When you're present, when you are able to practice being present, it's like you're moving more slowly, but you see more clearly. You don't have to react to everything. You know, this person said something to me that really upset me. Actually, I was exchanging emails with somebody today and this person just like went fuck wild and took things, so many things personally. And this is like a a service provider, right? Wow.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And was getting very like adversarial with me. And I'm just like, what? Is, I've never dealt with this before. This is crazy. And the old me would have been really triggered and would have like fired back and like start raging. But now I'm just like, oh, that really has nothing to do with me. Like he's, you know what I mean? And so, like, life, life doesn't have to, when you're constantly reacting, life feels hard. It's like you're trying to like maneuver around just to like keep your sanity. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that that's like the first and fundamental coaching that I have for anybody who's starting to go down this path is practice presence, practice meditation.
0: Yeah, that's good advice. I know that personally, that's what I have done myself. And she's right on. And I'm sure the other ladies can attest to that as well. Erin, what support do you need from, you know, the people outside of your individualistic self, you know, your friends, your family, your partner? What do you look for for support from those people kind of post deconstruction?
2: I'd have to like kind of back off what Rebecca said. I love how she said holding space for people and creating a space that feels safe. The deconstruction process, I don't know if it ever really ends. Like I'm three and a half years into it, <laughs> four years into it, and, and then I still have so many questions. And I feel like I always have questions and a lot of them I won't have answers to. But what I've found, what's really valid and validating is to be able to have space created The people in my inner circle that I can say things that potentially could sound offensive because they don't fit the narrative I used to believe or the way I did things. And yet they're okay going down that path with me and me exploring it and not jumping down my throat saying, how could you think that? Or how could you even entertain that? That's the biggest thing I'd say that I need and I look for in relationships. I'm very selective and like, who I would use to find, or I could, I could do that. I, I've i always lived openly, and because I was a pastor, I did a lot of like teaching from the platform. I've always lived like an open book and tried to use as much as my life as an example for other people, like mistakes included. I'm not to sing all the positive. Here's where I did something wrong, and can we learn from that, right? But I've learned not everybody can bear the weight of what I would hope and expect they would be safe within them that I'm going to share with them. So I've had to learn to really pull back and be selective with who I share what with. Which has been a learning curve for me because I would just love to trust everybody and hope everybody could respect what I have to say and keep it safe. But I learned the hard way that <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah. So um, finding that safety, I think safety would be a key word. Like feeling safe. And Like Rebecca, you know, you said like the church should have been safe for you. It should have been your safe place. They claimed that they were and they weren't and they failed you. And I think there's been a wake up call for me. If I can just say this, because I was a pastor. I hate to think that I would have made people feel that way, that I would have been condemning of their sin or judgment. And I know I was like, I'm just going to be real. Like I was, I'm not perfect at all. There were certain mindsets and things that like were coerced into believing that you have to jump on the bandwagon for and and so I've had a lot of just even deconstruction within that of how did I make people feel unsafe or unheard or unvalued because they did something and I was wagging my finger at them, you know, maybe not in their face, but behind the scenes, or they could just tell I wasn't engaging, right? So I think I've become more empathetic. And so for sure, people with empathy, too. I need to connect with people with empathy. I'm not into fake phony at all. And if I smell that, like you're out, you're not going to mm-hmm. be friends. Not close anyway, so I'm keeping that distance. No, I just want to surround myself I'm right with myself. you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I am so. right there with you on that. That's kind of the criteria now that I look for. Do they have empathy, number one, and are they safe? If you are those two things, we can be friends. If you are not, I'm going to respectfully decline your friendship. (laughs) So just going to be honest with you. So we have come to the end of our time together. Ladies, I would love for you to be able to share how people can follow you or, you know, be friends with you on social media. Rebecca, how can people get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. So the number one spot is Instagram. That's where I spend the majority of my social media time. And so I'm at R E B L Coaching on Instagram. And then my website is rebelcoaching.com. So reblcoaching.com. If anybody's interested in reading more about trauma-informed coaching,
0: and then also leadership consulting as well. Love that. And I love that it's rebel. And that's like a perfect name for you. It's, it's almost as if the universe just aligned for that to work in your favor. Yep. So I love that. Julie, where can people find you? Yes,
2: yeah, same. I spent a lot of time, too much time on Instagram. <laughs> but they can find me there. Lead with Julie Tran. Also, I have a plethora of free, compassionate communication resources for anybody who is in a relationship right now that's in the link in my bio so they can feel free to click on that and have access to deconstructing their beliefs on what makes a healthy marriage. Something I'm really excited about right now is how to have heart-to-heart conversations. And so Mm -hmm. I have a free resource on that so that you can have connection, heart-to-heart conversations with people in your life while you're deconstructing and that you can bring yourselves closer together as opposed to, you know, the opposite direction. So yes, you can check oh. that out.
0: Love that. Aaron, where can people find you?
2: So I am not on Instagram. You cannot find me there. Facebook, you can just friend request me or send me a DM that Erin Watson More Moore is M-O-H-R. And this, this is me coming out, not coming out of the closet, coming out sharing my <laughs> story publicly about church deconstruction. For the first time. So I would love to have conversations with people that need a safe place. If this resonates with you, feel free to love for further conversation and just meet people that have been through some more journeys and don't know where to go or who to talk to. So
0: We need to convert Aaron to Instagram and you can meet the entire deconstruction community there. There's way more of a deconstruction (laughs) community on Instagram than there is on Facebook, but yes, thank you guys so much. This was such a good conversation and it's one that I believe everybody needs to hear whether you are a church staff member or whether you are like writing off the church and it's like, you know what, my time there is up. On to new things. I wanted to wrap up this episode on deconstruction support systems with a story that was originally told by Tyler Perry. For those of you that are unfamiliar with Tyler Perry, he's the man that plays the character of Medea in all of his series of movies and television shows. I love Tyler Perry, always have, because he has so much wisdom. And the way that he describes how people are like trees, I feel like is a really relevant thing to end this podcast episode with. So he says that there are three types of people. Now, this is an analogy of a tree. So there are leaf people. Some people come into your life and they are like leaves on a tree. They are only there for a season. You can't depend on them or count on them because they are weak and only there to give you shade. Like leaves, they are there to take what they need. And as soon as it gets cold or a wind blows in your life, they are gone. You can't be angry at them. It's just who they are. And then there are branch people. There are some people who come into your life and they are like branches on a tree. They are stronger than leaves, but you have to be careful with them. They will stick around through most seasons, but if you go through a storm or two in your life, it's possible that you can lose them. Most times, they break away when it's tough. Although they are stronger than leaves, you have to test them out before you run out there and put all your weight on them. In most cases, they can't handle too much weight. But again, you can't be mad with them. It's just who they are. And then there are root people. If you can find some people in your life who are like the roots of a tree, then you have found something special. Like the roots of a tree, they are hard to find because they are not trying to be seen. Their only job is to hold you up and help you live a strong and healthy life. If you thrive, they are happy. They stay low-key and don't let the world know that they are there. And if you go through an awful storm, they will hold up. Their job is to hold you up, come what may, and to nourish you, feed you, and water you. Just like a tree has many limbs and leaves, there are few roots. Look at your own life. How many leaves, branches, and roots do you have? For me personally, I'm so thankful for all of the leaves, branches, and roots in my life because we get to learn from all of them, but I'm especially grateful for the roots and why I think this is important to bring up at the end of this episode. You know, we mentioned many times in this episode how the church wants us to be family and they want to paint this picture that we're just this one big happy family But as one of our guests said, it can be very dysfunctional. And for me, like I said earlier, when I hear not just in church, but even in business and corporate settings, whenever I hear people saying, oh, we're like a family, that's like a major red flag for me. Because every time I've ever heard that, whether it's a secular or a church position, it's always ended in mass chaos. And so I really want you to think about your support system. You know, we just did this whole episode with lots of stories. Look at your own life. How can you apply what these wonderful ladies said in this episode? And then take Tyler Perry's tree analogy. Who are the roots in your life? Who are the branches? Who are the leaves? And how can you get Everyone positioned in a way that supports you. That's the whole reason we're doing this episode. That's why this is so important if you are deconstructing to have a good support system. Because I know way too many people that have left the church and they have zero support. Because they lost it all when they left. And that's not good. That's unkind. And Christians, we got to do better. Thank you for listening catch you in the next episode thank you for listening to the touchy subjects podcast if you would like more information about what we do and who we are and how you can get involved check out our website www.letstalktouchysubjects.com you can also find us on instagram at letstalktouchysubjects thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode